Welcome everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning, <laughs> you're with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson, how are you this morning, oh, Lawson? Yeah, I'm so great. You're s- really? Yeah, yeah, I am feeling really good, you know. Uh, on top of the world. 100%. 100%. 100%. More than you. Why do you, why do you say that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, well, okay, okay, because I walked into the studio this morning. Yes. And was informed that I am part of the best state in Australia, um, as clearly evidenced by the fact that we won a football game. Right. And so, and so, yeah, I've got, like, why, how am I not doing well? Like. So why are you doing better than I'm doing? Oh. I am also a part of the great state of New South Wales. Yeah, well, you kind of got <laughs> grafted in. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. No, but no, we, we appreciate you, Lyle. We appreciate the support. But no, I think I'm just doing great because... Aussie rules, rules. Oh, okay. No, that's... No, okay, never mind. Never mind. I'm doing great. You're suffering from something. <laughs> okay, actually, actually, real quick, Lyle. Yes. Real quick, I have to, yes. I have to mention. Um, so, you know how Herod, how he makes a promise that he probably shouldn't have to, yes. you know, Herodias' daughter and, and it gets John the Baptist killed? Well, I've done a similar thing, but... Nowhere near as worse. Um, essentially, I just wanted to Nowhere shout. Near out, is wor- no, okay. I, I just wanted to shout out my two friends, Izzy and Johanna. I wanted to shout them out because I was chatting with them yesterday, and we uh, listen. It's it's a long story. We had some words back and forth, and then I I, I apologized to them, and I like I was like, yes, I'll give you a shout out on radio uh, ah. because they are regular <laughs> listeners, and I we are appreciative of them. So yeah, shout out Izzy and Johanna. There you go. I've, I've got this feeling that I need to know more about this story. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Give us a call. Let's talk about some uh, positively different positively news this morning. Positively different news this morning. Okay, Lyle. I was reading something and I'm like, again, this is one of those good... Bad good news stories that I like to I like to tell. Um, essentially, so in Ireland, uh, they they've got like a huge wind farm in Ireland. They were kind of on the forefront of that technology when it came out. However, many years ago, um, and the, their first generation of wind farms are now being retired and replaced by you know more efficient and better wind farms. Yes. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, wind farms are these massive big things made out of fiberglass. Yes. And they're practically unrecyclable. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so yes. essentially they're, they're faced... environmental nightmare, nightmare once they break down. Yeah. Essentially what they're facing is uh, 2 million tonnes of waste, <laughs> like a fiberglass waste. Of landfill. Of Yeah. But this is the thing, Lyle, is that they're like, okay, we're going to get these things recycled. Cool. We're going to get it done. We're going to try okay. All right. different things. And, and here's some of the ways. So, uh, the University College of Cork in Ireland have come up with a bridge uh, on a walkway that is made entirely out of wind turbines, like a, a quite extended bridge. You know, have you ever walked around the Esplanade here in Newcastle? And you know how there's like the sections that are like hovering over the water and it's like very extended here, you know, bridge. That's what they're planning to do with these things. And I'm just kind of like, would you walk on a bridge made out of 
worn out wind, wind, wind farm turbines. Wind turb- <laughs> turbines. I'm a bit like, uh, this is the thing. It's like good, bad news. Cause so, it's so like- are they, are they breaking it down and, and recycling it into something else or are they just using it to prop the bridge up? You know, like, oh, let's k- take a, a few of these old blades and cut them to length and turn them into props. Literally, that's what they're doing. Yeah, that's dodgy. I'm, I'm because a bit they're too like- dodgy to, to generate, you know, to go around in circles. Who's going to say that they're going <laughs> to? Hold up the weight of lots of people walking across. Yeah, that. I'm. I'm a bit like, oof, oh, that's, yeah, yikes. Um, no, if they're going to be successful, they need to find some way of actually breaking these things down and mm-hmm. reproducing them into something mm-hmm. else. That's the only way you're going to be successful at you know reusing all of these you know tons and tons and tons, tons, of two million tons of. Yeah, winter. that's what our world is facing in the next twenty years. Oh, yikes! But okay, so there's some there's some other projects happening around the world with wind turbines because a number of countries have realised that they're you know they're quickly running into this problem. Yes, this and, is this is not the clean energy that we once thought it was. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, uh, the UCC in the United States, another university over there, uh, they have created the Rewind Project where they are taking blades from wind turbines uh, and they are turning them into coastal wake barriers. So essentially protecting soil on the coast from, like, erosion and salination and all that stuff, uh, which is like, okay, fair enough, you're just turning them into... A Artificial wall. reefs. <laughs> a wall. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, oh, that's great. Again, this is not really yeah, the recy- not, recycling. Nah. It's kind of just repurposing old turbines. Um, oh, check this out. Another blade recycling initiative is to use them as part of the UK's developing high-speed rail network. Um which is I'm I'm at the moment that it's not even information here yeah, about that. I'm a bit at a loss. Like, uh how is that going to take what are they gonna turn it into train tracks? See, I think the best renewable power source is hydro. Okay. Because yes. hydro's been around for as long as electricity's been around. Uh-huh. And it's completely renewable and it just relies on stuff that comes out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Now you can do pumped hydro, which makes it even more efficient because you just keep using the same water over and over and over and over and over again because, you know, we used to run into the problem with hydro. Of course, when the dams run dry, well, now they don't run dry as fast because you just keep pumping the water back in. Mm. So you pump it up with solar and down with um, with, with gravity and it just cycles around. I think that's, I think that's our best option right there. Uh-huh. We need to be building more dams. Uh-huh. We need dams right across this country. That way we can get rid of, you know, a lot of our drought problems at the same time as produce electricity. Yes, dude, that's, that's, G, G, we've got the we've got the answers here. What do we, we do? Why? We do. What are you doing with wind? Seriously, we, why are we on radio? the environment? We should go lobby in Parliament or something. Of course, we should. We've got the we've got the world's problems solved <laughs> easily. All right, I have one final story this morning. This is amazing. So, uh, an eighty-one-year-old uh, woman from Sykeston, Missouri. Her name is Mildred Wilson, which is the most classic old lady name I've ever heard. Uh, she's just completed her second Tough Mudder obstacle course. For those who don't know what that is it's a 5k obstacle course that is literally like crawling in mud under barbed wire like uh getting electric lifting, lifting logs uh, lifting logs lifting traveling rise like lakes these people here like oh it's a 5k race it's like a 5k race that takes it's an the- obstacle course yeah it takes like the fastest people like a couple hours so we're talking about a serious obstacle course like a, a pretty gnarly 5ks dude milton wilson is out here just killing it Absolutely destroying the course. In 2019, she was like, 
you know, uh, she had been widowed. Her, her husband, her late husband had died. And she was like, oh, you know, as, as a lot of people get to in that age, they're like, there's a couple options they can take. It's like either move into, um, nursing homes or to stick it out on their own and try and find something, you know, just find something. And she's like, you know what? My hobby's going to be, you know, I'm not going to join the sewing circle. I'm not going to get into, um, you know, the, the, the card circle. No, I'm, I'm going to get into the tough mother circle. I'm going to yes. go on, on the circuit and she's killing it. She's finished her second race now. Um, and she's really come like a face of tough mother. Like she's the one getting like thousands of likes on Instagram. Yeah, like she, she's basically a tough mother athlete. Now, of course, tough mother is, you know, organization that sets up these races and all the, almost all the proceeds go to charity and all that stuff. So it's a fantastic thing to be a part of. I have lots of friends who, have done it um but to see that yeah uh mildred wilson is just on the scene killing it just so we've got, a, we've got a text message coming through here, Ooh, oh, here yes, specifically for you oh what's it about somebody's wor- wor- concerned about your fingernail hygiene i i watched them this morning <laughs> i watched them this morning it's probably mon and she doesn't understand that boys get dirty fingernails from doing manly things yes like uh, being that's outside. exactly right because mine is full of grease right now <laughs> but grease is a good thing i think I'm not sure. Maybe it is. But anyway, whatever. Uh, we're going to listen to Anna Beden with Paystub. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, Lyle, what's happening with current news? Okay, so we t- said so we'd do a COVID update. We're going to do a COVID update this morning, Singapore, uh, which has been one of the most uh, successful COVID-managing countries in the mm-hmm. world, has just downgraded COVID to flu status. Oh. So that's pretty radical. Uh, there's going to be no transmission goals. There's going to be no quarantine for travellers. There's going to be no quarantine for close contacts and no contact tracing starting pretty much now. Dude, let's go on a holiday. Yeah, except you can't come home, oh, uh, oh, okay. which is a bummer. That's, that's a problem. Uh, there's going to be no brain tickling, otherwise, oh, okay. other, otherwise <laughs> known as COVID, COVID tests. <laughs> what they are going to have available is COVID breathalyzer tests, Okay, which is a whole lot better idea. And so this is going to be interesting. It's kind of like, well, watch this space. Let's see what happens uh, in Singapore as they have made the decision to downgrade it to flu status and just treat it like the flu. Uh, basically, that you've got three health ministers in Singapore. There's a, a, a trio of health ministers, and they've come forward and they've said, look, you know, the flu comes around every year. It kills a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, this is something that we're going to have to learn to live with. It is here to stay. We're not going to be get, able to get rid of it. Uh, they've had, you know, they're, they're a country of about 5.7 million, so the country is about the size of Sydney, mm-hmm. uh, geographically probably smaller than Sydney. And, uh, you know, so they've had some fairly significant infection rates there. Their infection rate has been sitting around about 30 to 40 a day, something like that, uh-huh. uh, peaking at around the 600 mark. But they have had uh, very strict quarantining uh, and, and so forth in that country, and they've just so decided, no, nope, that's it, we're done with it. She's going to live with it. They're gone. Uh, along with 14 EU countries that are bringing in quarantine-free travel. Okay. Of course, the difference there in the EU is that their quarantine-free travel is based around the vaccination passport. Ah, uh, Okay, yes. So basically the same kind of thing that you get when you are... Um, 
you know, you have to go to a yellow fever country and you've got to get yeah. a yellow, yellow fever passport, that kind of thing, mm. except that this one is digital, you carry it on your phone and you're able to travel with that one. A lot of people in Australia asking why we can't have the same thing here if you've been vaccinated. Mm. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's what's happening around the world as far as COVID goes, which is kind of interesting because, you know, we're going back into lockdowns here in New South Wales and Victoria. Well, Victoria's like always in lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... They don't go outside. Yeah. <laughs> Victorians, Victorians haven't seen the sun for like a year. Uh, no. But the, um, yeah, but while we're going back into lockdowns and so forth, there's a number of countries that are coming out of lockdowns. Mm. Oh, and there's a conversation that we had. And it's like, oh, but they've, you know, with significantly more COVID rates and why are we well, putting so hey, much emphasis on one? And Let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy for other people to go first. Hundred percent. They can be the uh, they can be the guinea pigs. Let's see what happens. Yep. I suspect that. Well, I mean, we we have to be we have to be thankful to live in Australia. Yes, we are so blessed to live in this country. Mm-hmm. We've had one of the best COVID managements in the world, and we are one of six countries whose GDP has increased during COVID. Wow, just six. Mm. Our economy has actually done better. Mm. That's amazing. Anyway. Uh, South Australia. Let's go to South Australia. This is something that I bet you didn't know about South Australia. When you buy a burial plot in South Australia, you mm-hmm. don't get to keep it. Did you know that? No. No. That doesn't make any... They can, they, there's every possibility. So they're just like digging up graves that they cyclically? Will, yeah, they will dig you up, take your bones out, dig the grave a little bit deeper, put your bones down below, and then sell it to someone else. That is wild. Now, you can opt out, but it's an opt out, not an opt in. And they are talking about bringing that in Australia-wide. Uh-huh. Now, the idea behind it, of course, is that, you know, you've only got a certain amount of space in a cemetery. It's kind of hard to make new cemeteries because nobody wants a cemetery next door. And so they want to continue to reuse the cemeteries that we've got. Yeah, so basically, the way, the, way, you know. the way it works is, is, is kind of like this, is that, after you know fifty or a hundred years or whatever the the specified time is, they will contact all of the relatives, um, gain permission from the relatives. They'll put a, a sign up on the on on the grave that will stay there for two years. Give everybody an opportunity. They'll publish it, you know, online newspapers and so forth. Give everybody an opportunity to make comment on it, and then after that, if nobody says anything, it is just automatically reused. I, I actually think it's a great idea. I couldn't give two hoots about my bones. Why, why yeah, would I care thing, about just, my bones? No, this is my point. Just get cremated. <laughs> Well, 70% of Australians are cremated, and I think that's a very positive thing as well. Mm. Uh, some people come to me and they're like, you know, does the Bible speak, say anything against cremation? No, the Bible doesn't say anything against cremation. The Bible doesn't specify a form of, a correct form of burial. Mm. And if God is not able to bring me back from dust, then, well, God's not going to be able to bring many people back because cremation is just a faster way of turning into dust. Yeah, yes. You know, we all end up as dust. Mm. Cremation is just quicker. Yeah. So, you know, if God's not able to deal with that, then we're all in trouble. (laughs) I have every confidence that God is able to bring us back from dust. And so, yeah, if we can recycle the ground, then all the better. Amen. Okay, Justin Trudeau in Canada. Oh, classic guy. um, Has just, just demanded apology from the Pope. And this is the story that has been Ooh, just a, just a wild story that has been developing over the last couple of weeks where they've been finding mass graves of bodies um, of children, yes. unmarked graves yes. uh, in these Catholic schools. Mm. 
And, of course, once again, what you've got here is one of these conspiracy stories that rattled around for the last hundred years or so, and, you know, various books and magazines would make these wild claims and everybody would be like, oh, you know, Charles Chinnicky is such a conspiracy theorist, and now we're actually digging up the graves and now we're actually finding it is actually true. And so far they've found 966 bodies uh, in the Merry Evil uh, Residential School and the Camp, the Kamloops Residential School. Now, these two schools ran for about 90 years. They peaked at about 500 students. And with that many bodies in unmarked graves, that's about 11 students dying per year. Uh, and this is my question is like... I guess this is everyone's question. What is going on? Like, okay, so you went to a school. How many students in your school? Um, okay, I went to two schools, and they probably had five hundred each. And how many students? How many of your fellow students died while you were in school? Like eleven per year? No, like none. I I don't think whilst whilst I was at school, I don't remember a single student dying. I remember one. Mm. My school was maybe one hundred and twenty people, and yeah. I remember one student. I think I, I think I got one. a lucky run. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so these what now now this is this is what's wild about this. They believe that there's around about six thousand that died in these schools. How can you cover so that, that up? Though? So that 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 those numbers come up to like sixty eight per year. And so this is because there are records. You know these these nine hundred and sixty six that they found so far are unrecorded. Yes, but they've got records of a lot of children that died while they were in school. Why? Like, okay, this is a really, really valid question, and this is a question that the Roman Catholic Church needs to come forward, and they need to be transparent about, and they need to produce answers on. Because I want to know how do you lose this many students? What's actually going on here? What what kind of you know abuse or neglect or mass disease? What happened? We need to have answers, and Francis needs to head over to Canada. He needs to provide an apology, and he needs to provide some answers. Yeah, well. He needs to provide transparency. Let's hope that he does. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. Mark Harwood from Creation Ministries International. Dr. Mark Harwood, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lyle. It's great to be here. Yes, it's been a while since we've had you on the show, but we do appreciate what you have to share with us. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking about the uh, age of the earth and the gospel connection. Uh, so basically, yeah. scientists, they tell us that the earth is about four and a half billion years old. Well, some scientists do. Um, what, is the, what does the Bible actually say? You're a scientist, so what does the Bible say about the age of the earth? A lot of people don't think it says anything about the age of the earth, but it turns out it really does. When you look in the book of Genesis, there are lists of fathers and sons, and a lot of people skip over them because they're boring. But if you look at them, they're really interesting because they give you the age of the father when the son next in line was born. These things are called chronogenealogies. If you look at Genesis 5, 9, and 11, you can work out that Abraham was born about 2,000 years after creation. And from Abraham to Jesus is about 2,000 years. And, of course, from the time of Jesus to the present day is about 2,000 years. So the Bible actually tells us that today we stand here about 6,000 years after creation. So it really does have things to say about the age of the earth. 
So when I read those genealogies there, I, you know, I guess the first time I read the Bible through and, and you know, started in the book of Genesis, that was pretty interesting until I hit the genealogies. And the question that went through my head is, why is this here and why is it in such detail? Why do we need to know the age of the father, the age when the, when, when the child was born, the age when the child died? Why did we need to? Was, was this God actually seeing into the future and giving us something with which well, to combat or, or, or giving us a framework within, within which we can understand the world? I think it's very much that. I mean, the, the ancient people knew very well what years were. They understood um, what, what the age of the earth was and that God recently created it. And probably you're right, you know, because God does see you know, the future, sees the end from the beginning. So he would know that in this day and age of ours, people would be saying that the earth was billions of years old. The problem with it is, of course, that when you put the millions and billions of years in, you always end up facing death before mankind even appears on the scene. And that means that death is in the world as a result of how God created it. So it's kind of an insult, if you will, to God's character. God displays himself in his word and in our relationship with him as a God of love, compassion and mercy, not a God who made a world full of suffering and death and you know, terrible, ghastly stuff that we see today, that the world that we live in today is a result of, of Adam and us having sinned and rebelled against God. Yes, it almost seems that, well, I, I guess the way I look at it is that, you know, if you look at the world from an evolutionary perspective, survival of the fittest, natural selection, then the primary means of advancing forward, the, the primary mechanism for, you know, different species to advance and to move forward is death. Death, is, death, is the, right. death, death becomes the driving force that, that creates everything that we have today. Indeed, death, in fact, becomes the agency of creation. So God must have used death if evolution is true. But that's not what the Bible tells us. It tells us in uh, in 1 Corinthians that death is the last enemy to be defeated, you know, and and death was defeated with Jesus' resurrection. That's why every Christian can look forward to an eternal future. So, yeah, the age of the earth actually matters a great deal to our understanding as Christians. Yes, and I, I've always I've always felt that you know the most uncomfortable place in the world to be is to be a Christian who believes in evolution because okay be it, be it, be an atheist or an agnostic and believe in evolution or be a Christian and believe in creation but to try and mix those two seems to be just an incredibly uncomfortable position to be in and yet there are a lot of Christians today who do so. They do, that's right, Lyle, and they do, I think, because they don't know what to do with what appears to be um, all this evidence that supports the evolutionary story in the millions of years. And they think, well, gee, scientists tell us that the Earth is four and a half billion years old, and these blokes don't make mistakes, and then they put man on the moon and all that kind of thing. So, you know, they must be right. So somehow or other, we have to fit these millions of years into the Bible. But I'm with you, I think that's a big mistake because that's not what the Bible tells us. And the the major challenge to it is, um, and by the way, I should say that years ago I used to believe that God must have used evolution to create until I started to think about it. And the big problem, I think, for the Christian is that you get death before Adam and then you have to wonder, well, why did Jesus come? Because Paul says that um, it was as in Adam that all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So it was Adam's death 
that brought death into the world. That's why, sorry, Adam sinned. That's why Jesus had to come and die physically on the cross to pay the price for our sin. So the whole gospel actually gets compromised when we you know, suggest that God used evolution to create. Yes, and what I see is that, you know, with evolution, you've got uh, essentially Satan making an attack on the existence of God, and where he can't win there, with theistic evolution, he makes an attack on the character of God. That's right. That's so, right. Absolutely. So how can God be a good God if there's so much suffering in the world? You know, you can't answer that question if you believe that God used evolution to create. But if you believe what the Bible says, is say, ah, the world is a mess because of Adam's sin. But you know, there's a problem, and the problem is, what do you do with all the evidence? Yes, yes. And that's a big Critical challenge. Question. And it, it is, and uh, I just want to encourage uh, your listeners, Lyle, to uh, go on to creation.com, which is a fantastic website that Creation Ministries has, and it's got answers to just about every question you could think of in the sciences that uh, explains the data and what we can observe from a biblical point of view. And it's faith-strengthening and it's God-honouring material. So I really encourage people to get there. In a short program, I can't cover too much, but I can have a go at a couple if you want me to. If you've oh, got time. Yeah, that, uh, we would love you to, Mark. That would be fantastic. Well, just an example. You know, the uh, geologists look at all the layers of rock that we see in the world around us. And they say, wow, each of these layers must have been laid down slowly one after the other. So it must have taken millions of years to deposit all of these rock layers. But, you know, when you look at the Bible, it tells us in Genesis 6, 7 and 8 that there was a global catastrophic flood which covered the whole of the earth and only Noah and those who on the ark survived. Now, if that global catastrophic flood was true, you would expect to find evidence. And what we find in the world around us is, of course, sedimentary rock layers, layer upon layer, all over the earth, which is exactly consistent with what you'd expect to find if the global flood was really true. So the Bible's record of history gives us, if you like, a pair of glasses that we can use to look at the evidence in the world around us and make sense of it. The slow, gradual story is where we get the millions of years from, but the slow, gradual story is actually not supported by the evidence that we observe. But a global flood explains all, or not all, but most, the vast majority of the geological features that we see in the world today. So that's just an example of how applying what the Bible says makes sense of what we can see in the world around us. I think the important point there that sort of jumps out to me is that the evidence hasn't actually changed, whether you're an evolutionist or a creationist or something in between. The evidence doesn't change. That's right. But the interpretation of the evidence does. We're all looking at the same evidence, that's exactly right, but we look at it with different glasses, and the glasses are what we actually believe. You know, someone said to me once, but if you could come to the evidence with neutrality, would you conclude that there was a creator? I said, well, actually, you can't be neutral. Whenever we look at evidence, we already have a pre-existing belief about what happened in the past, and some people have that pre-existing belief of evolution, millions and millions of years and slow processes. Others believe what the Bible says. And depending on which pair of glasses you wear, depends on how you interpret the evidence. But the evidence is the same for everybody. 
Okay, but we're always told that science is science and that science is one of these things that, you know, is very black and white because you deal yeah. with, you know, you deal with what is observable and, and testable and repeatable, you know, the scientific method, the empirical method and so forth. Yep. And so that science right. actually can't be argued with. And so are we, are we going against scientific principles by saying that there are alternative interpretations of the evidence? Is Does science give us that room to move and, and to consider alternative interpretations. Well, you've touched on a really important point here, Lyle, because science, as you said, is about observation. Science is about looking at the physical world and figuring out how things work. But that's a completely different question from trying to reconstruct the past and work out how things came to be. And I, I liken it to um, it's an analogy I use quite often. Let's say you came across a bucket partly filled with water under a dripping tap. If you measured the amount of water in the bucket and how fast the tap was dripping, you could work out how long the bucket has been under the tap, right? I mean, it seems reasonable. But actually, you can't because you weren't there when the bucket was put under the tap. So you don't know, for instance, that the bucket was actually empty when it went under the tap. You don't know that the drip rate has been constant because you weren't there to observe so science is about observation. We can come up with a number for how long the bucket's been under the tap, but you have to make a whole bunch of assumptions. And that's the same when scientists look at evidence in the world around us and try to reconstruct what happened in the past. Because we weren't there in the past, we don't know what all the conditions were, we can't control all the variables, and so we can't be sure. The best way to determine the age of something is actually to have an historical record. So, for instance, I have a birth certificate, so I know how old I am because somebody wrote down the day in which I was born. But you could do scientific experiments on my body if I let you, <laughs> um, but you couldn't work out from those how old I am. So that's just an example of how science is limited in what it can do. It relies upon observable and repeatable experiments, and you can't do experiments from the past. We need an historical record. And I think that the Bible is like God's history book of the universe. It tells us what he did right at the very beginning, and it's his eyewitness trustworthy account. Does the Bible have any competition as far as being a historical record of the creation of the world? I mean, uh, is there any other ancient document that is written down that has come down to us that gives a, a creation story that can be... Uh, used as a model for explaining our natural world? There are lots of creation stories around in different religions. Um, almost all of them um, are couched in terms of a, a battle between good and evil gods, and as a consequence of this battle, the earth is formed. And um, But none of them provide a concrete history like the Bible does. Uh, as I said, those chronogenealogies in Genesis 5, 9 and 11 are really quite unique in the uh, holy books of all the different religions in the world. The Bible alone gives us a workable historical framework with which we can interpret the world. And if you think about it, um, it's just typical of God's grace and mercy towards us that he's provided us with his word. If we didn't have the Bible, we would have absolutely no idea about what happened in the past. There's no eyewitness record that we could rely on. The other holy books are really just the writings of different people uh, who have um, 
attempted to codify some kind of uh, belief system uh, like, like Buddhism or Islam or whatever, but none of them have anything like the historical framework that the Bible offers us. Dr. Mark Harwood, it's been fascinating having you here on the show this morning. Um, of course, you're a speaker for Creation Ministries International. Got any uh, presentations coming up in the near future? Um, we do, um, COVID lockdowns permitting. <laughs> um, there, if if uh, your listeners jump on to creation.com, there's an events tab there and they can find out if there are events in their area or their state or whatever. And we have speakers uh, all around the country uh, delivering this vital message that Christians can have complete confidence in the Word of God. It is the truth and it provides, its history provides the foundation for the gospel message. Wonderful. And of course, creation.com is a fantastic place, as was mentioned earlier, to go to find, well, if you've got any questions, go there, type in the question, and you'll probably find an answer for it. Dr. Mark Harwood, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM. We're going to move on to the Thanks show. for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.